Sensibly Speaking podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another uh, jam-packed, action-filled episode of Podcasting Glory. Uh, this had a special guest, Clint Haycock, on board. We are coming at you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video here on YouTube. So who is Clint Haycock, and why do I have him on my show, and what is this all about? Well, from the title of the episode, you might have guessed that this has something to do with evangelical Christianity or evangelicalism or however you want to call that. And uh, Clint and I got in touch recently through Facebook, and he apparently has quite a deep and fascinating story connected with his upbringing and uh, connection with evangelical Christianity. And so I thought this is something I've been wanting to get into for a long time. Uh, What is an evangelical versus, say, a fundamentalist versus, say, your run-of-the-mill lay Christian person who isn't so fanatical about their religious ideas and just has this sort of belief because they want to lead a good life and, and, and have a nice afterlife. There's, you know, I got nothing, just to be totally clear, right from the get-go, I'm going to be really super clear about this. I don't care what your beliefs are. I don't care. It's what you do with them that I care about. And that is the, the dividing line between religion and cultic activity. And when cultic activity, the, the, the exact line there is abusive behavior, abusive, emotionally abusive, psychologically abusive, physically abusive. And that's where I get on a soapbox and I start ranting and I start going, hey, something's wrong here. So I've brought Clint on as a guest here. So welcome to my show, Clint. Thank you, Chris. I just want to say that you were a guest on my podcast. This is how we started actually interacting, wasn't it? Was that as an ex-Scientologist, I've been doing a series since January on the cults. And so I can't remember exactly. I think we met on Facebook yep. as part of the uh, Religious religious Survivors Network or one of the groups on Facebook. But so I was going to say, your the podcast that we did, we actually didn't talk about Scientology that much, but I got so much positive feedback. So I want to say a big thank you for that because it was a great episode. So uh, informa- so much information that that was you know on just the cults in general. So yeah, thanks for that was a great podcast. So I'm glad to return the favor. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I, this is this is how it gets done, and and uh, and these are these are really important topics. In fact, from what I was reading today. A quarter, approximately, this is all Wikipedia, but according to that article on on evangelical Christianity or evangelicalism, um, a quarter of the United States is is evangelical Christian, not just, you know, regular Christian. And I knew that, you know, there was an issue here in the U.S. I think of it as an issue. I think of it as a problem that 70, 75% of Americans identify as Christian. Okay, fine. But one out of four is evangelical slash fundamental, like that starts scaring me because these are people who have pretty deep-rooted and very, very strong, i.e. intolerant beliefs. That's exactly it. That's where you start getting into pro- problems, as you say. It's yeah. what you do with it. It's not just enough to have a private a religious belief system that you keep to yourself, but it's when you start trying to impose that on not just other people, but politically, which is what we've been seeing since probably 
the late 70s, 19, early 80s, people like Jerry Falwell Sr., the religious right, the moral majority, they were mobilizing not just, well, fundamentalist slash evangelical Christians to vote specifically for a guy, you know, Ronald Reagan. That was kind of where a lot of people will point to and say, that's where the evangelical slash fundamentalists really got mobilized in that way through direct mailings and radio and then television and, of course, now the Internet. And they're, they're using a lot of fear-mongering and scare tactics, you know, the gay agenda, the abortionists. And, you know, that, that's how they've motivated people to, to vote for their candidates. And so they see it as a, a very much an involvement in the political sphere. And then we're seeing this, for example, with the recent laws, Alabama, Ohio, Georgia, the anti-abortion laws. Okay, they know they're going to get tied up in court, aren't they? They're probably going to get struck down, but they're testing the limits of what they can get away with, and and they're going they're trying to overturn Roe versus Wade. That's that's the aim, isn't it? So you see, this is a, this is a fundamentalist agenda. But it was what Jerry Falwell Senior he succeeded in mobilizing people. One of the big ticket items was abortion. So we're seeing that that's the legacy of people like him, 30, 40 years later. That's right. That's exactly right. And I and I do want to get into some more details yeah. about that and talk about that a bit later in the podcast, because that is crucial right now to current events here in the United States and uh, legislation that is occurring. And this has far reaching effects all across the U.S. or potentially yeah. good. And, and so I definitely. Too. Yes. It, well, yeah, exactly. Because American, American evangelicalism, that's yeah. the problem. That's they right. see it as a global takeover. They're, they're, that's why they're sending missionaries to other countries as well. So it's not just an American phenomenon. Where I mean, when I was in Africa back in 2001, the brand of Christianity we encountered there was American fundamentalism, which caught me off guard. And then, of course, you make the connection. Well, of course, that's, that, that would make sense because that they had missionaries from the West, and that was the brand of Christianity they brought to Africa back in the colonial days and all that. So the legacy goes back even farther than just, you know, Jerry Falwell. It goes back to colonialism and, you know, mission movements and all that. So Exactly. And unfortunately, a lot of the attitudes and prejudices and uh, biases from those old colonial times are brought forward in these people's Absolutely. minds in a yeah, straight line of, uh, you know, of uh, hereditary, all <laughs> yeah. uh, of, you know, sort of passing Absolutely. on their, their religious traits, you know. Um, so it's, so it's scary stuff. Actually it is, but let's go ahead and get into why it's scary stuff. Now, first off though, before we move forward on anything else, Clint, let's talk about who you are, because, you know, a lot of my people in my audience are going to go, oh, he's a podcaster, but you actually have background and experience in this. So let's talk about that first. What is your background with evangelicalism? Well, that could be a podcast in and of itself, I'm sure, but I was raised in it. So I was, I was, you know, second generation as, you know, as it were raised in it from, from day one, I was in church from when I was a baby, I was raised in one particular brand of evangelicalism, which is a denomination called the church of Christ. And it's kind of a fundamentalist, um, uh, denomination. And they have this interesting uh, doctrine whereby if you say to the the pastor, "I want to become a Christian," they say, "Well, you need to you need to get baptized," and so that's what they equate baptism with salvation. And that messed me up as a kid because I got baptized when I was ten, but of course, all I did was just get dunked in the tank. Nothing changed, and so I tried really, really hard to live this successful Christian life. Failed, 
and then got rebaptized at 13. That failed again. <laughs> you know, so I ended up getting baptized three times because the first two didn't take apparently. But it was this so, this is so an the example. I, so the idea was the baptism was supposed to fundamentally change you in some way? It, it was to save you. That okay. was salvation. So right. what they call baptismal regeneration, that's the, that's the technical name for it. You, when you get baptized, you are saved. You are a Christian. That's how the, that's their teaching in the Church and, of Christ. Okay, fair enough. And then, what happened yeah. that you felt you weren't saved, or what? What? Why the? Why the recurring baptisms? The 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 trauma that it was associated with. When I was about tw eleven or twelve, we were. They showed a movie in our church called A Thief in the Night. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it mm. came out. I think in the early seventies. It was a fundamentalist end times scenario whereby suddenly all the Christians in the world get raptured. And then the film, there's four films in the series, which we ended up watching all four as they came out into the 80s, actually, where all the Christians suddenly disappear and the rest of the people are left behind to face all this tribulation. You know, it's, it's right out of the book of Revelation. So I'm a kid of 11 or 12 watching this film. I am utterly terrified that if I'm not a Christian, I'm going to miss out on the rapture and I'm going to be left behind to face the horrors of the tribulation and this post-apocalyptic hellscape whereby you're, it's too late then. You know, in fact, right. there's even a song that says, it's too late to change your mind. The sun has come, the son of God, and you've been left behind. And that's the theme of the movie. And so as a kid, I'm, I'm saying the sinner's prayer. I'm rededicating my life thousands and thousands of times because I don't want to miss the rapture and be left behind. So the, the trauma as a kid can't process that. You cannot process that psychologically, emotionally. And what is it to, to be sure that you're a Christian? That, that became the thing. And how do you know that you're not just a self-deluded hypocrite and fooling yourself? And uh, I, you know, I can remember coming home and there would be nobody home and I would be panicking because I thought the rapture had occurred and I'd been left behind. You oh, know? Wow. So that was, that was sort of my experience growing up. Would you say that your parents were stronger than average believers? Did they preach about this sort of thing or talk to you about it or give you stern warnings and that sort of thing while you were growing up? How was, how was, what was the environment like? It was the, I would say, well, as Robert Lifton says, it was the milieu. That was the whole thing, the milieu of the cult, because not only were they, it was more of what the church portrayed, you know, the, showing the movies and that was the kind of, end times theology that went around it and then they were also part of a what i consider a cult which is a guy called bill gothard and he led these seminars for years called the institute in basic youth conflicts yeah i see you've heard of you've heard of uh, bill gothard. The, the single most popular video most watched video on my channel over a million views is an interview with a survivor of iblp yeah. and ati yeah and, so uh, I grew up. Yeah, she and that, I did yeah. a whole video on on the 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 practices and belief system of that, and it is very definitely a kind of homeschooling cult. It is, yeah. It's you a grew up it's in a that. modesty. So yeah, my parents were heavily involved in the leadership in Seattle where I grew up. My dad and mom were well. My dad was the president of what they call the host and hostess committee, which was the ushers and the people who sat all the the people who came to the conference. So he would he was really heavily involved in it for years and years, and I grew up. So they they raised our fam our ch they raised me and my other sisters 
with the Bill Gothard teachings, which I've, you've already covered, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. So you're talking about the neck to ankle dresses for the girl. Modesty, purity have, culture. No, no makeup, not looking around at the, uh, at you, yeah. when you were out in the, out in the world, you couldn't yeah, look at, at uh, women in bikinis or advertisements yeah. or watch TV or see movies or any of that kind yeah. of stuff. We weren't allowed to have a TV. We didn't. We, I grew up in a home without a television. Oh, we no couldn't TV listen to secular music. We could, you know, the only show we were allowed to watch, we could walk up the street to my grandmother's house from 7 to 7.30 on a Friday night and watch The Muppet Show. And we had to be home by 7.35. <laughs> that was the only TV we could watch all week. We didn't have a TV. And we couldn't listen to rock and roll. If we got uh, caught listening to secular music, we'd get a spanking. Right. You know, so that was right. the sort of environment very strict and well it was a fear-filled environment really you know because you could always get spanked for the, the, the smallest infraction right and that's that was part of the gothard teaching was you know the spare the rod spoil the child you spank a child until he or she cries and you know that when you've done that that you've broken their will and that was what he actually taught you you're breaking their proclivity to sin and that's a god-ordained mandate Right. You know, so that that's all part of the teachings of the Gothard movement. So were were they incorporating into? It sounds like they were, but I'm wondering: um, were they incorporating Michael Pearl's uh, practices or suggestions as well? He I wrote, don't know. He wrote the I, book I don't, How to. I've never, yeah, he, I've heard of him. Yeah, he well, the spare the rod, spoil the child thing comes right to mind with that because he wrote a book called How to Training Up a Child or How to Train Up a Child, and he made very many analogies in the book to how you have to break a child or train a child yeah. the same way you would train a dog or a donkey yeah. or something. And he actually, yeah. I have video of him demonstrating how to beat a child using a stick and yeah. a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah, here's uh, and he, give you a practical demonstration. <laughs> yeah, quite seriously. And there are people who have watched that video who have said, I don't see the problem here. What's the problem with raising your children with firm discipline? Well, the exactly. problem is that it's child abuse. That's the problem. It's child abuse. It's physical abuse and psychological abuse and even into the realm of sexual abuse because you're you're beating the child on their bottom, which is part of their sexual organs. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. it, there's been a lot of studies done, haven't there, on the the effects of physical corporal punishment, spanking, and all that. Very so, yeah, that so. was my that was my background. But somehow it was all wrapped in the the context of the of the God piece, you know, because it was a God ordained system, and that's how Gothard set it up. It was the umbrella. I'm sure she talked about that. Oh yeah. You yes. know, the everybody's under umbrellas. It's all about authority. Whose authority am I under? And if I step step outside of the authority of the umbrella that's over me, my parents and ultimately God, I am then open to satanic attacks and you know, Satan can can have at me and God apparently can't can't protect me, or he'll leave me to it to get abused by Satan so that I'll learn my lesson and come back into the un, under the umbrella. You know, so it's a very controlling cultic system, as you said. Yes. It absolutely is. And very and self-perpetuating because you yeah, yeah. are brought up in this, and as we'll go over, you carried on with these teachings for a while, and yeah. so we focused uh, in my and I'll link to the um, to the interview I did with Christiana and the video that she and I put together on this whole thing, uh, which makes it, it, it incredibly clear to anybody with eyes that this is an abusive system. Oh, um, it is. But even the men, the the boys who grow up in this, also 
uh, are suffering child abuse, physical abuse, right? Emotional oh, yes. and uh, and then become perpetuators of that system. This is why yeah. uh, I have railed against the Duggars because they're part of this. Whole yeah, thing. they're another and one. People see them in these very stage managed, you know, public appearances or on this on this ridiculous reality show that they had where they're all smiles and everything is wonderful, but you don't see what happens when those cameras aren't turned on. And what happens is really hideously ugly stuff. Yeah, so, abuse and everything else. Yeah, exactly. It's just straight up child abuse, spousal abuse. So, it is. Okay, so it's let's get- It's a toxic so, system. Yeah, we yeah. could do a lot of a lot of talking on that. I'm, I, I'm actually yeah. quite sure that this will not be the only podcast you and I do. <laughs> okay, good. Thing. Yeah. We'll come circle but, back around. <laughs> exactly. So, okay, so carry on with, uh, what, with your story then. What, what happened to you? Well, see, I think because of the traumatic uh, upbringing that I had, um, I was so, when I got older- and I came back to the faith. I kind of walked away when I was 16, 17, 18. I joined the U.S. Navy, and I just got away from it all. I came back and became a Christian in 1988. And then I think my motivation for going, I went off to Bible college seminary. I was a pastor for 12 years, and then a Bible college teacher for eight more years after that. My motivation, I think, was really fueled by my childhood experiences, because I was thinking to myself, I want to help people avoid the the damage that I had when I was a kid. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to teach people the correct theology from the Bible. I'm going to help them pastorally and as a teacher. And that was, that was really my motivation. Although I didn't really realize all that at the time I see now that's, I think that's what I was trying to do. Um, I just want to help people. And I thought the Bible was the best means to go about doing that. You know, and so that was my motivation to go off to Bible college and seminary. I ended up doing a PhD. You know, I, I put a ton of work in a lot of years. Most of my adult life, I was either in school or, or teaching or somehow, te you know, preaching or doing, you know, helping people basically in ministry of some sort. So I spent a lot of years, my, my whole adult life, somehow or another, I've been involved in ministry or academics. And, oh, okay. And when you got out of the Navy and got into this whole thing, then I guess from what you're saying that you did not go back into the ATI Gothard system? No. Luckily for me, uh, I, I was about 16 or 17. I only went to two seminars. I went in Seattle. And I think part of there was a, a, a couple of things that happened around that time. My parent, we left the church that we had all, that I'd grown up in. It was fostering this kind of teaching and they were encouraging people to go to the seminars and so my parents they had a falling out with the pastor and you know church politics thing so when we left that church we also we got out of that bubble I think and I was also walking away from the faith at that time when I was 16 17 18 anyway so I just sacked the whole thing off I, I walked away from Christianity for about four or five years and came back when I was probably in my early 20s and that's when I went off to Bible college and everything. So it was still fresh in my mind, though. And that's I, then I got baptized the third and final time. Uh, it's a funny story. I was actually a youth pastor, and I'd been. I thought the first two baptisms I didn't weren't real, but I went to my pastor and I said, "I think I need to get baptized again." <laughs> so he did. He baptized me again. That was hit that, it. Hit that reset button on Christianity. Here we go. All right. Yeah, but it's so funny that looking, I look back on it now and I think, again, I was so bothered by the fact that the first two weren't legitimate. 
you know, that I, and here I am now, I'm a youth pastor, I'm teaching kids and I'm, I'm going on youth, youth trips to Mexico and this and that, but I'm in, I've got this guilt in the back. I've really had an existential guilt. You're not, you're, you're a phony, you're a fake, you know, you're telling these kids all this stuff, but you yourself haven't even been baptized. You know, and I was really laden with guilt. And I think I, I can see that was the result of all the legacy of that stuff in my childhood. You've got to get it right. You know, and if you don't have every I dotted and every T crossed, something's not right. And so I, I, I just kind of went to him and I poured out my heart. And I was like, you know, look, here's this. I thought he was going to fire me from my job. You know, I thought he was going to say, what? <laughs> you haven't been baptized? What? You're get fired. out of here. What are you talking about? Yeah, you're a fraud. They haven't dumped you yet. Oh, get get out! You're totally unqualified. (laughs) Exactly. So that that shows you the the sort of minutia around certain types of Christianity, where you you have to get everything right. Your beliefs have to be correct, and that's the thing about evangelicalism that is so it's so damaging because it's all about the correct set of beliefs. But you got the Baptist Church down the street versus the Pentecostal Charismatic Church right next door. They both claim to be evangelical, but yet they have one one church will will speak in tongues. The other church says it's of the devil, you know. Right. So who's right, you know? And they'll they'll fall out. They'll they'll fall out, and they won't talk to each other, and they won't they won't work together to help the community because they disagree over this issue of tongues. I mean, it's just uh, it's insane. It really is. Oh, and, no, and they no think doubt. the Baptists yeah. are going to hell, you know. And the Pente- the Baptists think the Pentecostals are wrong, and they're heretical. I mean. Because of a belief system, you know, the, theology and doctrine. Exactly. I, I, I can't go in for any of that. Quite honestly, most of that is the kind of thing that keeps me away from religion. And <laughs> yeah. because, like, what, what, God's a lawyer now? Like, I have to, yeah. like you said, I have to dot my I's and cross my T's. Just yeah. if my key are right. lined up, then I don't make it. Like, because this is yeah. all legalese or religious ease or something. Like, what, what are we, what are we talking about here? This is so insanely stupid if 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 there's a divine creator and he sent his son down to die for our sins and that's and that's actually how it all went down then he should be a fairly accepting guy and if the truth is here and that's then that should be all i need you know And, and am i living a good life am i trying to help other people or am i of mal ill intent and am i actively hurting other people you can, you know, I get the idea of balance and karma, and I'm actually kind of okay with that. But yeah. this, you know, these, these, all these little rule keepers, uh, the Lord's rule keepers, they just, this kind of stuff just makes me go, you guys are just a bunch of idiots. Yeah. But if you look at it from a, if, you, if we zoom back a little bit and come at it from a little bit of a historical perspective, you know, where does that, where does that I dotting and T crossing come from in specifically evangelical and fundamentalist Christianity. I trace it back to the end, middle and end of the 19th century when there was a huge problem within Christianity where you had liberal theology creeping in, mostly from sort of German sort of liberal scholars. And they were they were tearing apart the Bible and they were doing a lot of, you know, what they call biblical criticism and things like that. And the fundamentalists were kind of a they they were a reactionary movement to liberal theology and so that's right what they, that's where the term fundamentalists comes from it's they created a document called the fundamentals and they said okay amidst all these attacks on the bible and the attacks on historic christianity we need to set out what exactly do we 
do you have to believe to be a Christian? And, and anyone outside of our very small circle is not a Christian and is a heretic and a liberal. And so they had about five fundamentals. They said, you must believe these five things or you're not a Christian. And that, that's the legacy of this kind of stuff, where it's all about correct beliefs. And we see that even today in evangelicalism. Most people don't trace it, you know, wouldn't know that it goes back to the fundamentalists. But that's really where that type of thinking comes from. That's At least right. I think it. No, no, you're yeah. absolutely right. That, that, that oh, lines up completely with my historical research as well. Yeah. Oddly, I came into knowing about all of that because I was tracing the origins of the word cult. Yeah. And it was, if I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was the fundamentalists at that time in the early 1900s who started yeah. applying the word cult to non-fundamentalist groups. And yeah. that is when the word cult started getting this negative connotation to it because it was used that way by the fundamentalists, yeah. who we now, of course, have flipped the script on because, yeah. they, you know, they're the most cult. They're more cult-like. Yeah, exactly, yeah. that we know. So, so yeah, yeah, we cross paths there. That, and that is, and it is a fascinating historical story. It is. It is. And so evangelicalism today, I, I really think they're sort of second or third or fourth generation fundamentalists. That's really what they are because, and you know this, you can, you can if you're a person out there listening and you say, oh, come on, that's not true. Okay. What you do is you go on like Hillsong's church, New York, where Justin Bieber goes to church. It's a hip. It's cool. They're up there wearing skinny jeans and the pastor's got tattoos and he's got a hipster beard. And it's like, this is all so super cool and hip and relevant and everything else. Justin Bieber's there. Chris Pratt is there. But you look at their doctrinal statement on their website and it's straight boilerplate evangelical fundamentalist doctrine. That's so you great. go, okay, right. It's just, a, it's just a way to get people in to be hip and cool and engaging, but their beliefs are straight out of fundamentalism. You know, yeah, it's just a, it was, it was a sad, sad day for me. I didn't particularly care too much about Justin Bieber, although I know a whole lot of other people out there do. Oh, Justin yeah. Bieber's sort of becoming the Tom Cruise of fundamentalism. Yeah, uh, he's with the this... Scientology version of, or the Christian right. version of Tom That's Tom right. Cruise. That's exactly what he's doing. Or John Travolta. That's right. But I was very disappointed to learn uh, that Chris Pratt, who's one of my Marvel heroes, yeah. uh, you know, has gone. is he's the Guardians of the Galaxy, man. Come I know. on. He's so cool. Parks and Recreation. You know, yeah. now he's, you know. Bible bashing, fundamental. Uh, well, evangelical. He's one. He's in Los Angeles, I think. But there's a, this is versions of these churches all over America where it's the hipsters and the cool, the celebrity pastors. Now, that's that's a thing now. The guy right. that hangs out with Justin Bieber, he's just as cool. He's got a huge Twitter following, and he's up there with his fedora hat and his whatever. And it's funny because there's that. That's the the mark of a, a real dedicated believer in the Hillsong's New York churches you have to buy that hat that the pastor wears <laughs> so that you know that you've really made it when you wear the hat that the pastor wear. And there's a couple of stores that sell this particular kind of hat. <laughs> it's a thing, man. It really is a thing. Well, it's called marketing. And, yeah. And they're yeah. marketing this belief system to young people through a veil yeah. of hipness and coolness and, and yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's really just marketing because the belief system, the course, it's it's and really no different than Scientology with their very, very, very high production value, slick ads, computer, oh, absolutely, you know, digital image range. 
But yep. you get down to the core beliefs, and we're talking about stuff that a science fiction writer wrote in 1950. I mean, that's what it yeah. comes down to, you know. This Zenith. stuff, you know, it's it's a, it's a rigorous, literal interpretation of scriptures that were written by farm her, farmers and goat herders yeah. uh, thousands of years ago that, you know, they told themselves stories, and those stories have morphed and changed over the years, and that is what we call you know, modern Christianity. And it's all kind of a joke to me because it's all so silly, but a lot of people take this yeah. stuff way too seriously. So, oh, yeah. so how did you go from, uh, from a, from a youth pastor to now speaking out against this stuff? What was the path? Oh man. Um, <laughs> well, I went from there. I, I was a drummer in the worship band. I got into another church, ended up staying there for years. I became an elder there. Then I became the head pastor I ended up staying there 12 years after I was a youth pastor, and then I got super burned out in ministry. We ended up closing that church down. I walked away from the church. I wanted nothing to do with the church, so we came over here to the UK to, for me to do my PhD, and we ended up at another church. We weren't going to go to a church. We said, that's it. We're done. You know, I was so burned out in ministry, uh, but we stayed for six years, and primarily it was because of the relationships. And that's what kept us there, even though we were having more and more problems with the teaching and I was deconstructing my beliefs. And that's, we had started, I had started getting into progressive Christianity. And I, I see now that's how, that was the path that I let, that I went down. It was a case of, I started reading more, I guess you could say liberal progressive Christians. And I started jettisoning the more um, unnecessary, what I considered unnecessary fringe beliefs that I really thought were important back in the day. And it was a case where, I, I, I see now I was getting rid of one thing and I could say, okay, I've got these things here and I'm still okay. I can get rid of another one. I'm still okay. I can get rid of another one and I'm still okay. But pretty soon there's nothing left. You've gotten rid of everything. And when I did my PhD, my supervisor was really good because he would flag up statements that I would make as I would write chapters. And he would say, do you realize that's a pretty fundamentalist kind of a dogmatic assertion you're making here? Do you want to make that claim? And I, I didn't even, I didn't even see it. It was just, that was my, my background. And when I started, I said, where does that come from? Wow. Do I really, do I need that in this chapter? Well, no, I don't, you know? So that was kind of the path. It was, it was academics. It was ministry burnout and reading, you know, and, and the more I got down the road, I, I realized there was no Christian faith left. <laughs> after I jettisoned all the little pieces that I thought were so important. Well, they were, they were all important at one point. Right. What would you say are the, those core beliefs? You mentioned earlier the paper that came out on fundamentalism in the early 1900s. I think they yeah. expanded those into whole books. Oh um, yeah. There was a magazines. There, yeah, yeah. There was real effort at, at, at really codifying and defining what this was all about. Um, so they literally did become their own kind of cult. It was it was really quite yeah. quite a fascinating, like I said, history. Yeah. But for you, from your experience, what would you say are those core beliefs that if you know that you have to have in order to be an evangelical or a fundamentalist or you know of this brand of person? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is they would agree on the the sort of core fundamentals yeah, as far as like you talked about a little bit ago. You know, believing in the in the deity and the the virgin birth, the deity and res, uh, humanity of Christ, the full deity, full humanity of Christ, the resurrection is obviously the physical bodily resurrection of Christ. Those are all things that every Christian generally would agree on. It's when the issue, the the real thing with evangelicalism is the elevation of the Bible. 
to a higher level than probably most, like a Catholic, let's say, for example, or an East, Eastern Orthodox person or something like that. They, they, I, I think it, it is what they call bibliolatry. It's a worship of the Bible. And they, they, this is the line of inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility. That's where they're going with it. And what ends up happening is the Bible becomes such an authority that they end up worshiping the, the Bible as almost a magical book. You know, that's why you need to be reading your Bible all the time. What's behind that is this bibliolatry. The Bible will just simply transform you just by the act of you reading it because it's got its own inherent power because of the magical insp inspirational qualities that it has because it's God's word. And that's really, I think, the, the main hallmark in evangelicalism is the elevation of the Bible. Interesting, very interesting. And of course, this leads me to about a thousand questions. Let me ask you one. Um, what do evangelicals who have this Bible worship sort of that mentality, I assume then that they take it literally? Well, there, there's a lot of discussion on that because it's, it's a, that's quite a question of hermeneutics, what they call hermeneutics, the, the art of interpreting the Bible. Mm -hmm. But generally, the, the whole thrust is about application that's the goal of it is all since all the bible is inspired and inerrant that is mistake error free that's what inerrant means there's no mistakes in the bible um and it's authority because of all those features that it has and, and this is their argument therefore all of it must apply so they, they're so desperate to figure out how to interpret it correctly so that they can apply every part of the bible to your life and that, that's what I spent all my time as a preacher doing was going through the Old and New Testaments, interpreting it and preaching it in ways that it applied to everyone's lives, lives in specific and measurable ways. That's what they taught us as preaching school was you've got you to gotta end your sermon with the applications. Otherwise, it's no, it's no good. It doesn't, right. you, know, you can't just teach people the content of a Bible story. You've got to then apply it. And that's that's right. That goes all the way back to guys like Charles Spurgeon and Jonathan Edwards. You know, uh, the, they you can read their sermons, and they always end with application. So that's that goes way back to 15th, 16th century Puritan preachers and all that. So that's long been a feature of sort of puritanical preaching styles. That's that's the real the real focus. Right. I have always loved the language of hardcore preaching, even if I don't really <laughs> dig the message too much. I, I mean, I, I think it, it just begs for Hollywood theatrics, you know, the sin sinners in the hands yeah. of an angry God oh, yeah. sermon, right? I mean, Absolutely. talk about literal fire and brimstone. I mean, this oh, is literal. Like hardcore stuff, right? Uh, hardcore. It, yeah, it Plus was just a terror sermon. That's what it was oh. called. That's it actually it actually has a genre called terror sermon because wow. Jonathan Edwards his regular sermons weren't getting through, he felt to his listeners. And so he went down this route of the terror sermon and he terrified his listeners. So you could put it right in the vein of that movie A Thief in the Night. It's the same psychology. I'm going to terrify you with the threat of impending judgment from God such that you're going to become a Christian. And his listeners were rolling and screaming and crying in the aisle. So it worked from oh, his yeah. point of view. Absolutely oh. worked. Yeah, And that's, that's where that's the, great, the Great Awakening Revival came from is Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and people like that around that time in the 18th century. Right. 
Yeah. And that, his, that's, that's the legacy of American revivalism is guys like them. Wow. It's hardcore stuff yeah, it, and everything. Yeah. It, it evokes primal emotional, you know, strong primal yeah. emotions. It's certainly yeah, visceral does. feelings. Yeah. Very. You're terrified. Literally. I was a terrified kid, man, when I saw that movie, you know, and I can still feel the anxiety even now talking about it, how I felt when I came home and there was nobody home, you know, yeah. absolute terror. Hey, everyone. I have what I think is an exciting opportunity for you. This episode of the Sensibly Speaking podcast is being sponsored by the Great Courses Plus, an online educational streaming service which has video courses on a gigantic range of topics, from philosophy to climate change to nuclear physics to cooking and practical skills, not just brain stuff. What I love about this service is that The Great Courses Plus was founded on the idea that education should be available to everyone. You can learn from top experts and professors, leading minds in their fields. These are not little courses put together by amateurs. These are the real deal. I'm taking advantage of this myself already by studying their featured course, which is called The Deceptive Mind, A Scientific Guide to Critical Thinking Skills. <laughs> Ta-da! I can't think of a course that is more suited to me and to you, my audience. So far, I've only watched the first couple of lectures, and frankly, my mind was blown by how much raw data is packed into what seems like a very simple series of lectures. This information is the basis for how I unraveled my mind from Scientology and how I've been working to help others do the same. It's really pretty amazing. The even better part is they gave me a custom URL, which I've put on the screen here and which you can find in the show notes and in the description section of this video on YouTube. The link is thegreatcoursesplus.com slash critical. Super easy to remember, and by using that URL, you help out my channel as well as get your hands on these amazing courses and lectures. You just click on the link, sign up for the free trial, and open up the course for Your Deceptive Mind by Dr. Stephen Novella, or any other course you're interested in taking. It really is that easy. There's also an app you can download which allows you to toggle back and forth between the audio and video right on your phone or tablet, listening while you work or cook or exercise, yet still being able to toggle the video on when you need to see something being talked about that's in the lecture. I hope you'll give The Great Courses Plus a try. I think you'll find it more than worth your time. Use the link thegreatcoursesplus.com slash critical and let me know what you think. Let me ask you a couple more questions here before we get back to your narrative, just because they're on my mind and I don't want to forget them um, yeah. or forget to ask you them because uh, we didn't really plan any of this beforehand. We just kind of got into yeah. it here. Um, <laughs> Leviticus, for example. So, you know, you have these passages that are interpreted as anti-homosexual or no. LGBT, right? Uh, was this a struggle for you in any way while you were pastoring? Well, I spent so much time studying the text. I, I guess I, I saw right away that 
the problem with interpreting the old versus the new testament that's that's really the issue that people struggle with because if if you you can't apply those they're, they're old testament laws you know and that's that's obviously the comeback isn't it when someone starts pulling out verses from the old testament and they say well if two men are caught lying together as a man lies with a woman they're supposed to be dragged out and stoned well that's an old testament law but now i i see it as well wait a minute the God of the Bible is the one who gave that law. That's, to me, the bigger problem. And he's the one who inspired the writer Paul to say the things that he did in the New Testament, which are very seemingly anti-homo or very homophobic. Right. You know, so that, that, that's the problem I guess I'm struggling with now is when you trace, you say, well, wait a minute, if, if the Bible is inspired and all these things, there's a God behind the writer, you know, inspiring him to write those things on a parchment. So ultimately, God's responsible for that law, even though it's unenforceable today. You know, so that to me is the, actually the bigger issue. But I didn't, I didn't struggle with it when I was a, pre, a pastor. Um, I think it, maybe it was our generation, you know, I don't know. You know, kid, kid, younger people today, they, it's not even an issue, is it? No. Whereas my parents, my dad, he was oh, rabidly homophobic, you know, and a total fundamentalist. He would have grabbed those verses from Leviticus and ran with them, and and he did, you know. Exactly, and and uh, there are still these these folks still do. I mean, they oh, base absolutely. their homophobia on the Bible, and what the absolutely. Bible says, and they take it literally. So I'm also yeah. curious about, um, you know. So I guess you, for yourself, you drew a line between Old and New Testament, and you were more of a New Testament guy. Actually, no, I was an Old Testament guy. This is Old what's Testament so funny. <laughs> so how? So yeah. what about what about the passages about beating your slaves? <laughs> yeah, like how, how was that just sort of well we don't have slavery anymore. So when we did yeah. have slaves, that's what you would do. But now we don't do that anymore. Is that kind of the thinking? Yeah, and it, well, it's a case of there's always an argument. I I say God always has an escape clause. That's the problem. Is no matter what problem you throw at a Christian, they'll always have an escape clause. The most common escape clause in that answer is they say, well, it was cultural. Every culture in that ancient Near East was, they had slaves. So God just said, well, look, I mean, they're going to have slaves anyway. So you better at least treat them a little bit okay, better than the other nations around you, and thereby set a little bit better example of what it means to be a, a theocracy, which is what most of, the, most of the time Israel was, wasn't it? Until they got their kings and all that. But right. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. But you, what's interesting to me is that when you look at, like, for example, the reformers, Calvin and Luther and those guys, they they struggled with this same issue too. They didn't know what to do with it. The, they said, "Well, the Bible is inspired, and it's all it's 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 practical for all of life. What do we do with these laws?" And so they tried to. They had the same problems. So this has long been an issue as to what to do with the Old Testament other than the prophetic passages that they say point to Jesus and, and all that. They love those, of course. Right. But nobody knows what to do with Leviticus, man, <laughs> other than a case study. That's that's how I approached it. As when I was preaching, I'd say, well, it's a case study. You know, mm. We just have to look at it as a case study. That's how it was, as objectionable as it was. We have problems with it, but it's a case study of what life was like. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why we don't want to live that way today. Yeah. We don't want to live well, I, I would ch I, my first line of pushback on that, of course, is, well, so modern day slavery consists of human trafficking. There are sex slaves, yeah. there are labor yeah. slaves. We even have it from a certain point of view and it's not too much of a stretch. 
uh, we have slavery in our prison systems right here in the United States. Uh, yeah. So because we have, you know, these people who are, you know, earning what, 10 cents an, an hour or something as prisoners, uh, which is, you know, uh, you think the Sea Org's bad, <laughs> you know, go to jail <laughs> and watch your human rights just disappear. Right and the, and yeah. I don't agree with this whole idea that, well, they're bad people who do bad things, so they don't have any rights. I'm sorry, but it, you're just wrong. You're, you're just that yeah. position is just totally wrong. Fundamentally wrong. Oh, yeah. completely wrong. Right. Human rights are human rights because you're human. Yeah. You have these rights anyway. So I don't know that it's such a I, I my pushback. My initial pushback would be, uh, no, there's still quite a bit of slavery going on all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so are you saying then that those passages apply to those circumstances where maybe those human traffickers should beat their slave if they, you know, or whatever the passages say precisely. I didn't, like I said, I didn't zero prep for any of this. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so I didn't, I didn't go earmark the passages, but just from my memory, no. I know that there's all, all, a few of them, you know? Yeah, there are. But I think more problematic are the passages again in the new Testament that condone slavery and slave owning. I mean, there we you go. Know, that, because even if we said, okay, uh, Chris, the Old Testament, that, that's unenforceable. It was a case study or however you want to argue that. It was a cultural thing. We can't, we can't bring those into play here. But Paul, all through his letters, says, you know, slaves, obey your masters as unto the Lord. Slave masters, treat your slaves with dignity. He doesn't say, hey, it's slavery is evil and it's wrong and it's against all, you know, reason and everything else. Whereas there were groups in ancient Rome that philosophically thought slave owning was evil and wrong. And they weren't Christian groups by any stretch. So you go, well, why didn't Paul speak out? Why didn't Jesus speak out against slavery? So that's right. to me, that's, that's a, if you want to go down the New Testament route, you could say, wait a minute, <laughs> what about Jesus? What about Paul? Uh, this is an even bigger problem if you want to go and strictly and stay in the New Testament. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge problem. And given the, problem. given the timeless nature of God, he should have known better. I mean, that's, if, that's the problem. He's the one who's responsible for it. That's right. what my argument is about, you know, any number of problematic laws, whether it's laws against women, you know, like I've brought this up in podcasts, you know, there's laws that says, if a woman is raped, the attacker, her rapist merely pays a fine to her parents, right. and then she has to marry him. And God is the one who gave that law. That's a horrifying law. Um, well, know, I'm just going to say, if you, if any folks are out there wondering, because I see this on my Facebook every other day, some yeah. judge somewhere, almost always from the south of the United States, south <laughs> South U.S., all you the know, lets some rapist go, gives the guy, you know, Brock, what's his name, got six months. Uh, I just am seeing right now, literally just an, less than an hour ago, uh, some guy who was a good Christian man. So he only had to, you know, and he raped some minor and he, you know, got two years or something. Like, if you're wondering how these judges can, can think that this kind of sentencing is, is proper and okay and, and perfectly good, it's because they buy into this belief system. It has direct, yeah. you know, real-world consequences. Yeah, tangible belief. consequences. Well, look at the, the purity culture, uh, like we were talking about with Bill Gothard and others. Yeah. I mean, there's a direct relationship with the way the Bible portrays women, for example. If a woman doesn't cry out when she's being raped, she can be accused of being part party to it, in a sense, 
you know, and Bill Gothard right. himself brought that in. The Jehovah's Witnesses have the two witness rule and that that excuses child abuse. But that's based on a biblical precept. Yep. So, you know, you can look at those and say, wait a minute, why would God put a law in there like that? Like you said, he if he's omniscient and he knows all this, come on. Exactly. He, he would have known that two, three, four thousand years later, people are going to be using those laws to justify rape and child abuse. Exactly. Because he's all knowing. Yeah, you know? claiming God's God's blessing over it. I it's mean, pretty, Bill Gothard is a is a sexual abuser. He abused women when he was right. leading the the cult, and that was one of his comebacks. Is this whole purity? Well, they led me astray. The woman tempted me. That was his big teaching. Like right. you were talking about the modesty piece, and so right. the, the blame always somehow falls on the woman. It's Delilah who led Samson astray, and that's how, that what's caused his downfall. She was the temptress who, you know, it couldn't, none of the blame falls on Samson. No, never. Or Adam, for yeah. that matter. I mean, we can take this all exactly. the way back to right the first two Adam. folks, right? That's I mean, it's, it. it's misogyny, yeah. right? Yeah. 101, right there. Well, women uh, are responsible for sin entering humanity. That's, that's, that's like you said, that's the real, that's the root of much of it. Eve was responsible. She, she led Adam astray. And therefore, sin entered humanity. That's that goes back to Augustine and you know way back church fathers, and that's been with us for thousands of years, as you right. point out. And it's justified and rationalized a lot oh, of absolutely. abuse towards women, a lot, way, absolutely. way, way too much, way too so, much. Let me ask you a different question, different vector here, just because again, I'm I'm just thinking about this stuff, and I don't want to, and I've never really had anybody to ask about this on my <laughs> show before. I haven't oh, delved into Christianity like this. Um, the Bible hasn't always been the way it is now. Absolutely. There's yeah. many different versions, uh, but let's say that you have your standard version, whatever your accepted version is that you're following, but that's your English translation of a exactly. work that goes back three, four languages at least. King yeah. James completely, you know, flipped the script on the whole thing in many, many ways with, with his yeah. authoritative translation. But then you can go back to Septuagint, and you can go back to the original writings and the Aramaic stuff, and et cetera, et cetera. Which Bible? Like, there have been yeah. changes. There are, there are, the translations are different. How do these people think? How, how you know, like, what's the, what's the reasoning here that in modern times, we have the perfect Bible, but six, yeah. 700 years ago, they didn't have it. They didn't have it. So are they not? So they weren't saved. They're not in heaven. Though you know, <laughs> Augustine didn't really know what he was talking. Like, what's the thing yeah. of this? He was closer to the source, though. You see, but of course, you know, there's there's some rabid. There's King James only people out there. Mm -hmm. They they argue the King James is the only Bible in 1611. They you know so. All modern translations are an abomination, you know, so you're right. Your international version, your new American standard, those are all abominations and heretical. You know, if there's even a, uh, you know, our friend uh, Chick, the Chick Tracts, there's a Chick Tract where he goes through and talks about how all modern translations are satanically inspired and only, and only the King James should be the only Bible. Yeah. I mean, so the, the pendulum swings the and, other way. And, and what 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 is it? I'm just curious about the reasoning. Do they think King James, like God, came down through him or something and said, "Okay, these are the changes, and this is how it's going to go"? Yeah. Is that is that the thinking? That's well, and that every every modern translation is is essentially a, an attempt to pervert the pure 
translation that King James and his, I mean, he did have essentially what were world-class scholars at the time, but they had a limited amount of manuscripts available. That's the thing. Between now and 1611, 1611 and now, there, there have been many, many new uh, or manuscripts discovered that they didn't have. So we know we have more evidence, as it were, textual evidence, um, where where King James and his scholars were just kind of filling in the pieces as best they could, and so they were relying on lesser amounts of manuscripts. It's a crazy thing, but you know, I, I was reading an article. There's a guy, Dr. John MacArthur, who's a fundamentalist. He has a radio show. He's a huge. He's the president of of Master's Seminary in California, massive fundamentalist. And his argument is that he says, okay, this is how it works. Going back to your question, yeah. he says, okay, it starts with God. So God cannot lie. He has, he always tells the truth. Then the transmission process of guiding the writers of the scriptures through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit means that they wrote everything down exactly as God intended it without any lies. And so over the centuries, God has miraculously preserved his word through and now we can know through textual criticism that we have the most accurate text. So therefore, you, the average Christian with your NIV, can be totally assured that your NIV or NASB is a 100% true, you know, accurate, inerrant Word of God. That's it's a straight line right back to God Himself, the truth-telling God. He cannot lie. So therefore, your Bible is is true. The amount of denialism in such statements <laughs> yeah. is shockingly bad. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. It, it's like an avalanche of denialism just just yeah. washes over you with this because, or or hits you like an avalanche. Because uh, yeah. it's just, I mean, there's so much willful blindness to any yeah. kind of historical accuracy or anything. They just don't well, yeah. and and of course that just yeah. you know, we know we know already that people can pay believe anything. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. Absolutely. So just because you say something's true doesn't make it true. You know, so <laughs> I, I'm I'm amazed the guy sounds so good. I'm amazed the guy actually has the balls to limit <laughs> what God can and can't do. God <laughs> always tells the truth. Really? Always. Did God yeah. tell you that? <laughs> yeah. Well, the Bible says it, but what, that's a I, circular so logic. God it, can't tell a lie? Are you actually limiting God's ability? Is that what you're doing right there? Yeah. Because it sounds an awful lot like you're the one defining what the big man gets to say and not say. It's crazy. I'm pretty sure if God wanted to tell you that you look great today, even though you look like crap, <laughs> yeah. he'd be telling a little fib. And I'm pretty sure God uh, would be okay with that. You don't want to ask God if a woman shouldn't ask God if I if she looks fat in this exactly. dress. Exactly. Or... Do I look fat in this dress? Well, uh, you can't win that. You just that's not a good not a good scenario. So what woke uh, you up, man? How'd you how'd you like go down this garden path and finally like go? Okay, something's wrong. Really, really wrong with all this. I mean, I got the well, out and all that, but then what what happened? Yeah, it, it was a case of I would say. That, you know, I was I was down that path. I was done with the church because I was burned out. I was deconstructing my theological beliefs and biblical beliefs for for several years. But then I think it was a case of going, yeah, what what's left then? There's there's nothing left to hold on to. And then I think it's, it's since I started watching when we were talking in our podcast, when I started watching those shows about the cults back last year it just struck me like a ton of bricks or that avalanche, like you were saying, 
that I was raised in a cult and this bears a lot of resemblance to cult. That's when I'm, I've gone from just, de- so I guess, deconstructing and, and reconstructing to going, wait a minute, I, I got to research this thing. There's a lot more going on than just my personal private beliefs and what I think is true or not true. I'm, I'm trying to warn people about the dangers, as we're talking about, the dangers of evangelicalism, fundamentalism, religionism, um, the mind control, the, the indoctrination, the brainwashing. I'm, and I keep, I'm, the further I go down this rabbit trail, the more I'm discovering, you know, and so I'm, I feel like, wow. And, and I'm, a lot of people, especially on Twitter, are going, wow, I've never seen this before. I'm, I'm so glad you're starting to make these connections and do these podcasts, talking to people like you. It's super helpful. Yeah, big time. Big time, man. Yeah, it really is. Let's talk about this, actually. Let's just take it head on. Religion, yeah. cult, or destructive cult, right? Because I have been yeah. very yeah. clear that when I'm talking, when I'm throwing this word cult around, I'm not using it as some slanguage. I have a very specific yeah. set of guidelines that I, that I use to determine whether a group fits the criteria of a destructive cult, or even a relationship fits the, fits the criteria of that. So... Often, people will comment on my channel about uh, all religion is a cult, and I kind of push yeah. back on that and go, mm, "No, not they're not all they're not all that." Uh, but I get the point. I definitely get where people oh, are coming yeah. from with this. But I don't want to paint with too big a brush and put too broad a brush and say they're all destructive and they're all bad for you because I really truly yeah. don't believe that. In your yeah. experience now, for you, what would you say is the difference and and how do you see organized religion, mass religious movements now compared to how you used to? Yeah, I think it's more of a spectrum or a continuum. And I'd be curious to find out what you think. I I think, for example, evangelicalism, I, I, I don't say that evangelicalism is a cult because it's, it's too diverse. It's, it's not a monolith. It doesn't have a single diverse or it doesn't have a single leader. It doesn't even have one group. There's many, many denominations, many, many. It's too diverse. It's not a cult. It cannot be. A, it doesn't fit the criteria. But having said that, many, much of evangelicalism fits the criteria of cult in, in the sense that the psychological manipulation, the coercion, the milieu control, the, the uh, cult of confession. I mean, you, what I did, I did a podcast recently going through Robert Lifton's eight markers of cults. And I applied each one of those to my experiences in evangelicalism. And I said to people, I'm just going to go through it as I see it, one through eight. You tell me if, if you think I'm on the right track. And the response was overwhelmingly, oh my God, you're absolutely right. I, these are the things that happened to me. I did one on the psychology of conversion, where we talk about how churches you know, coerce people into converting into Christianity, some churches, I would say. And again, the response was, wow, I never, ever, ever saw it that way. But now that you're saying it, oh my God, that's totally what happened to me. And and then having left that abusive, coercive conversion experience, that's what I'm seeing now. That's what happened to me. You know, I was coerced into it. That film, A Thief in the Night, was was religious manipulation and coercion. And, and it did a huge amount of damage. So for me to walk away from that, that's bullshit. You know, that's yep. coercion. I, I was controlled. I was, in, I was indoctrinated. I was in a cult. Yep. I, you know? I, I definitely I agree with, 
with what you're saying here. And I, yeah. you took the words right out of my mouth when you said spectrum, because I, that's, that's exactly how I look at it. Any, yeah. any question about whether a particular group is a destructive cult or not is a context specific question. And I know that that yeah. is rough on people who just want black and white thinking, is it, or isn't it, you know, they yeah. just want to kind of approach these things from a binary perspective. And I can say, uh, that in general, you're going to find, if I have to paint with this big, broad brush, then I'm going to say that you're going to find an awful lot of the characteristics of destructive cults in a, a good, chunky percentage of the religious groups that exist on this in this world. Yeah, mainstream churches, religions, yeah. You just do, right? Now, they are there. Yeah. That's right. The they are there. there. And it, it depends completely on... The, the pastor, priest, minister, spiritual leader, you know, whatever, the, the head, it depends entirely on how he deals with his relationship with the followers, yeah. because he's the spiritual leader. So he is automatically an authority figure that he is invested with power by the followers. Uh, whether that authority is, you know, a knowledge-based authority or a faith-based authority or or charismatic authority because he, you know, he looks and he talks the the part, yeah. what, or a combination of these things. People grant authority to these people if they put a little white tab yeah. on their collar, right? They're, yeah. you know, automatic. Yeah. Oh, father, you know, like they're automatically calling the guy <laughs> familial names and things. Yeah. You know? I mean. There's, yeah. There's all these like inbred psychological connections yeah. and things and mechanisms so going, true. going on with all of this, right? Yeah. Uh, so is it culty? You're goddamn right it's culty. Absolutely. <laughs> but is it, you know, but every single individual group, and that could be an individual church in the middle of a meadow in the middle of Alabama or the, you know, uh, Austin's mega church in Texas or yeah. Bieber's group up in New York or wherever these guys are or Church of Scientology, or a karate dojo, for that matter. Any yeah. of these groups yeah. can be taken on an individual basis. You run it down the, the list of characteristics, and you just go check, 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 check. It's really not that hard. But there, are, you know, but there are groups that don't fit that criteria, where people just yeah. kind of come, they get a sermon, or they do the, whatever the religious spiritual services are. They're not trying to over, you know, overcome the person's uh, self-determinism or free will they're not trying to make the person a, a pauper by demanding all their money yeah. dig deep for the lord yeah. you know they're not <laughs> doing that stuff right plant your seed money exactly so <laughs> yeah. so i can't call those groups destructive cults which is yeah, why i yeah. say no man they're, they're not all bad but yeah but having said that I knew there was a butt coming. Well, I, I'm just saying that I have to make those exceptions clear so that yeah, I can yeah. then get away with saying, I think yeah. the majority of groups out there are coercive. I think the majority yeah. of them are. And I think that, um, so that a lot of them, I won't say the majority of them, but I will say a lot of that majority uh, are destructive. They are destructive of your mental health. They're destructive of That's physical it. health, emotional well-being. Uh, and as far as when you bring children into the mix, it's just child abuse straight up. You know, because yep. you, you yep. have people, you have these little people whose brains have not fully formed. They are not capable of thinking certain thoughts yet. They're just not because they haven't developed yeah. yet. We're talking four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, ten-year-olds, twelve-year-olds. These people do not have critical thinking. They, no, they don't have not. judgment. They have no they life experience. 
exactly. They can't process it. So, so this is where my big objection comes to with, with child religious indoctrination. Now, just because I have a big objection to it doesn't mean anybody's going to change anything about what they're doing. Yeah. But I just, you know, noting my objection there, because I think that people need to think duly noted. <laughs> yeah, I think people need to think yeah. about this, right? Yeah. What are we doing to our kids? You are a prime yeah. example. You're 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Watching this movie. Yeah. And you know, that movie was specifically marketed to be shown in churches because right. it wasn't, it wasn't released in theaters. Uh, it was, it was made for showing in churches. And so it was meant for Sunday night services, which is exactly where I went and where I saw it at a Sunday night service with the whole church sitting in the sanctuary. Here's this movie, everybody. We're going to watch it at 10, 11 years old. And yeah, you, what you just said, you cannot process that as, <laughs> as, as a 10 year old kid. And there were younger kids than me sitting in there watching that movie, you know? That's right. And, I'll, hell, and I'll just, and I'll just make a note here that psychologically, um, actually genetically speaking, uh, just biologically speaking, when it comes to um, human behavioral biology, which is a subject I'm studying right now, yeah. um, these kind of terrifying incidents in childhood are life forming events. They're not, yeah, just, they're not just a scary movie you, you and I go see as 20, 25, 30 year olds or grown ass adults. We go see that stuff. We know we're watching fantasy. We're watching a production. Yeah. We're watching people who have put this together. We know that a 10 year old, an eight year old, no. a six year old, they no. don't know that. They don't yep. know anything like that. And you yeah. have to really hearken back to your childhood and, and, and pull up those memories to remember what you were like when you were young, because you weren't you now in a little body. That wasn't the situation. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> so funny, these, isn't it? You know, yeah, not funny, but I was going to say, well, it's funny because I was listening to, there's a podcast called God Awful Movies. And what these guys do is they, they watch Christian, <laughs> bad Christian films, and then they just mock them mercilessly. And one of their first four podcasts, they, they went through and they watched all four of those movies in that series. And they just mocked it. It's terrible production value and everything. And I was just listening to them the other day. And I thought, as I was listening to them go through the plot of the movies and explain everything, I thought, like you just said, as an adult, I can sit back and I can say, okay, objectively, those movies are one man's fundamentalist interpretation of the book of Revelation brought to the, to the silver screen, as it were. And he thinks this is what, was, what, would, what is going to happen in the end times. I can see that now. I couldn't see that when I was 10. I thought it was I was going to be the person left behind, and I did not want that to happen. I was terrified, tra traumatized, as you say. And that's a lifelong thing. I can still feel it even now. Exactly. And that's, yeah. that's, that, that has to do with our biology. That's not a spiritual yeah. or a, a psychological yeah. thing. If you, if you envision your mind as being something separate from your body, no, it, we're talking neural issues here. Yeah, we're talking so about well, like, yeah. you know, a terror reaction yeah. changes the context of your memories. And anyway, I'm not going to get yeah. on, you know, any more of a yeah, soapbox yeah. about it than that. But I just want to make the point that this is that there's science behind explaining this trauma. And it's not just a, a, a moral position we're taking here where we talk about, you know, child, children or child indoctrination. 
there, no. there's science here and it can, you can look it up and you can check it out. And I, and I recommend if you guys have questions about that out there that you, that you do so because the information's out there to be found in the same Absolutely. way that now we have the information about child abuse in terms of spankings. It's just abusive. There's no, yeah, there's up. no rational reason yeah. to be doing that to your kid. <laughs> we know a hundred percent of the time it's not going to help him. You know, it's not rational, Chris. It's biblical. You see, right. that's, that's <laughs> God you said that. <laughs> you know that that we were. I was just talking about the podcast that came out today. This is a funny story. The woman I was interviewing, she she became an atheist around this issue of spanking. This is the funny thing, because what happened when she had her first child? That issue came up. She was raised fundamentalist and just assumed we'll spank the kids. But then she said, "Wait a minute, that I read those studies. Those aren't right." But her husband was pushing back. She was going to a Christian therapist who was pushing on hard on the patriarchy, the man is the head of the household, all the biblical stuff. And through that process of deconstructing the spanking piece, she became an atheist over the course of several years, you know? Wow. So Good for her. Spanking made me an atheist. That's what happened to her. I'll tell Crazy you, man. Story. You science, couldn't make it up. <laughs> science and reason are going to be our salvation if we if we give it a chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Crazy. let's talk. Let's go ahead and talk about politics a little bit here, just because I just can't help but pour more salt on the wood <laughs> for everybody who's listening to this, who's got, you know, I'll just piss everybody off. Yeah, let's just piss everybody off. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, why not? Okay, so we don't have to get into a whole historical thing here to know that the religious right rose up very big uh, in the '80s. Uh, Reagan yeah. appealed directly to that, uh, I guess you could say, market or demographic, uh, purposefully and with malice aforethought. And yeah. got them all riled up and made them into a, a, a political force, which then became a dominant political force, as we are seeing yeah. now. Absolutely. Uh, I think people way undervalued the uh, importance of Mike Pence as a vice president. Oh, he man. is one of these fundamentalists. He's and a real this, deal, man. That he really is. And he is. This, He's a full-on. <laughs> Trump, Trump's no Christian, but Mike Pence is absolutely a fundamentalist. Died in the wool, man. That's right. Yeah. That's and right. so the the legislation that is now occurring, Alabama, I think uh, Georgia. Yeah. Ohio. Uh, Georgia. Ohio, that's right. It's on the docket uh, in several other states too. Exactly. This it's is not gonna be this is not this is chess. This is not some accident. This has been oh, no, years in the not. making. This yeah. didn't this didn't just happen, right? Uh, Trump got into office and all of these people backed him. Not because they like Trump. Yeah. It's because they like Pence. They like where yeah. all of this is going to go, which is, you know, they'll put Absolutely. up with all of Trump's lies and adultery and blatant biblical rule violations, <laughs> I guess I'll say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really in your face. I mean, he screwed yeah. a lot of his way. <laughs> While you know, while his wife is pregnant, I mean, are yeah. you kidding me? Tell me there yeah, are not cover it all up. Tell yeah, me there I'm are not scriptures against this sort of thing. I, I think adultery is kind of one of the bad things, isn't it? But he got a mulligan. That's what Tony Perkins said. Exactly. He gets a mulligan, you know, right. because he's deliver he's delivering on his promises. And you know, James Dobson said, well, you know, when he when he had the infamous grab him by the you know that tape. He wasn't a Christian then, you see, Chris. That's the right. thing. Right. When that was years ago, when he said that, now he's a Christian. We can't hold a man accountable for something he did 
and said 10 years ago. Come on. Right. You know, right. So clearly, that, I, they, I, clearly I'm off the rails here. But they're they're providing that religious cover. That's the whole critical thing. Right. People like Dobson and Perkins and Jerry Falwell's Jr., they're coming to his rescue every time something like that happens to reassure that base, don't they? That no, he's he's okay. You know, he wasn't a Christian then, but he's not, he's one now for sure. That's right. And let's yeah. be clear about the fact that this is happening, not because they really dig Donald Trump. It's because they have to put up with him so that yeah. they can get the legislation passed that they've been dying to make happen since the 70s and 80s, which is yeah. overturn Roe v. Wade. Absolutely. Get it gone, right? And you wonder, yeah. why are these Supreme Court justices the people who are being appointed? Why are all these justices being appointed at the lower courts? Yeah. What's all this about? This is what it's all about. It's about yeah. overturning Roe v. Wade. And that, my friends, is actually just step one. What these That's folks it. have in yeah. mind, without question, is a theocracy of the United States. Yeah, that's and exactly I, what I say. Yeah, I, I, it's it's plain as day to anybody who can actually, you know, look and see what's happening. Uh, yeah. So this isn't like some weird, you know, you have to dig into the into the into the fields or the the weeds here to see this. It's it's in our face. Yeah. Well, someone sent me on Twitter the other day and I, I'm kicking myself now because I didn't I didn't bookmark this web page, but it's essentially a Christian fundamentalist manifesto for what they want to see done politically slash religiously in the next X number of years. And it's simple things like they want to put in God we trust on every state license plate. You know, okay, so that's one thing. But that's you could say, okay, that's not maybe that big of a deal. But they want to put in Bible literacy programs in public schools. They want to get rid of. Um, well, they've already looked work to get rid of trans people from the U.S. military. You know those kinds of things. As you say, these abortion anti-abortion bills are just the opening salvo, I think, in what where this. It's a culture war. They want to win the culture war. That's right. And as you say, as in, in, install a theocracy. That's what Jerry Falwell, a senior, was trying to do with the moral majority and. I mean, they helped get Reagan elected, and they made he made a deal with the devil in a similar way that Trump made a deal with that white evangelical base. I think, you know, you deliver the votes for me, and I'll deliver on your, you know, political agenda that you want to get done. And that's exactly what Trump is doing, isn't he? That's exactly what he's doing. Yeah. And we can talk all day about the rise in uh, spiritual, not religious percentage and how more people are atheists now than ever before. But let's really be straight about this. <laughs> Atheism and spirituality are a minority group in the United States compared to yeah. uh, Christians and especially compared to uh, these fundamentalists. And I don't look at all Christians as my enemy or the bad guys or anything like that. But these evangelicals, they scare me. The fundamentalists, really these guys should. scare me. You know, and yeah, I think it's, it's an appropriate it's, response. Yeah, and as you say, this has been a long time coming. This isn't something that happened in 2016, because a lot of people said, especially over here in Britain, what the hell is going on over there in America? How could you elect a guy like Trump? Because when Obama was elected, I can remember having this discussion with my British friends, and they were like, you know what? This is a great day for America Forget about the politics, the fact that an African-American man is elected president and that a woman was on the ticket as well. So that would never have been contemplated in America even 40, 50 years ago. So they, they looked at us and said, wow, that I'm really, I think you guys have come a long way. We've gone right, 
right back in the shitter. And they're saying, how does this happen? This is, a, is this a new thing? And I'm, and I'm saying, absolutely, it's not a new thing. This goes back decades, man. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Guys Actually, like arguably all the way arguably all the way back to the beginning of fundamentalism in the early 1900s late yeah 1800s. well and well and, and christianity itself has a long history as we know of it getting in bed with the state you know so you can go right. back to the roman empire and the german church when hitler was in power and the, the spanish conquest of the new world and there's been many many historical examples of the church jumping in bed with the state to get things done to advance their religious agendas but it's always with disastrous results in the end exactly. history is not is not is replete with bad examples of what the church becomes way too powerful the they become the oppressor and on and on and on and never never good good never comes of the church getting in bed with the state nope i i does. would challenge my listeners to tell me and i'm i'm honestly challenging anybody out there i'm willing to listen to any arguments on this you tell me what theocracy in the modern world or in the past, uh, but especially now, is wildly successful, wonderfully yeah. treating its citizens, you know, yeah. wonderful landmark. Utopia. Yeah, what, what utopian culture exists here in the, in, in the world uh, that is a theocracy, right? You wanna tell me about how great it is to blend church and state. Good, show me a model that I can look to and go, yes, that ideal works. Because it worked yeah. in the past, it'll work now. Show me, tell me. Because the it's only ones I model. think of are the ones in the Middle East. And if anybody in the United States thinks those places have it together and that their citizens are you know, experiencing wonderful human rights and prosperity because of the theocratic overlords, yeah. uh, you know, really? You really think that? <laughs> Please really, convince yeah. me, you know? Well, and I think, you know, going back to our discussion about the Old Testament, that the, the, the value that I think that the text does have is, as I was saying, as a case study. So mm -hmm. the way I always taught the Old Testament was I would say to my students, I would say, now, listen, um, we're going to treat it as a case study. So do you really want to live under a rule-based theocracy? Do you think that's, like you just said, is that a wonderful system under which to live? Let's see how it worked out for ancient Israel with God as their king, with the thousands and thousands of draconian laws where you could get stoned for smarting off to your parents or whatever. So that, and every time, and Israel constantly rebelled against that and it never worked out for them. And it got, they had to institute more and more and more and more laws till it became this ridiculous, you know, legalistic system. So that's, that was kind of the way I approach it. So your, your analogy fits the Old Testament as well. I, I don't want to live under the Old Testament law where you have to sacrifice a, a goat and this and that every every year to atone for your sins and you could get stoned for this or that or you ever they had slaves, you know, and women were treated horribly and 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 really exactly. you want to live and that was God who was the who was the in charge of that. And that's that right. That's was right. A pile of shit. I, I mean I, I don't want to live I, I tell you, man, I I, on that there. stuff I agree. I yeah. I don't want to live in any society anywhere where people are being stoned to death for any reason. Are you kidding right. me? You get killed, God, yeah. killed with rocks? Exactly. I and mean, God's the one who gave those laws. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, God he, gave them. Yeah. That, that's, that's the construct of the way the, the, the Bible presents it. 
You know, God's yeah. the one who said, hey, if your teenage son smarts off, you drag him out in the public square and everyone stones him to death. Oh, Damn. that's a great society. That's the society I want to live in. I mean, really? Exactly. No, you don't. People that's talk, crazy. <laughs> people here in the United States are terrified of Sharia. Sharia yeah, law. And, you know, yet they are avidly pushing to make the United States its own. It's it's becoming yeah. what it is fighting. A version of that. I know. You know? Crazy. And it really is crazy. It's the definition of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and we and the rest of us who don't see that, those of you out there who think that I'm talking to you, but you're just a regular, you know, run-of-the-mill Christian who just has going through your life, you know, you don't want to stone anybody, you don't want to see people dying over beliefs, you want tolerance. I'm appealing to you folks with when we talk <laughs> yeah. about this stuff. I'm not trying to denigrate you guys. I'm trying to say, could you please step up? And talk to these people or do something about this because you have more in common with them than I do. You know, I'm not going to go into these communities and, and change hearts yeah. and minds, but fellow Christians have a much better chance of doing that. Yeah. And I wish that some people would take that on as a mission because this is this is a culture war. And I, I think yeah, I think you nailed it on that. Well, and I think you're, that to, to jump on your point that you just made, that average Christian out there that you're talking to who's just a good person, works hard at his or her job, is a good citizen, is not doing anything wrong, illegal, or whatever. The problem is the person is still propping up a system that's damaging. They're right. contributing their money to a church or a system that's hurting, traumatizing, and coercing and manipulating people, and they're part of that maybe part of that evangelical Trump base, you know, so, and there's something that David Hayward said, one of, one of the guys on one of the podcasts, he said, most Christians, they go through their life and they think there's nothing wrong with this church until it happens to you or someone right. you care about That's until right. you get screwed over until you get, you know, uh, burned out by the church, then you have a problem, but it, it, it's never my problem until it happens to me. So that Christian you're appealing to maybe maybe have had 20 years in a church and it was absolutely wonderful, but tomorrow they could get stabbed in the back by the pastor, or, or right. whatever you know. So no, and then absolutely sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, you know. So <laughs> that's right, and that's the thing. If we open up our eyes, you know, if I had opened up my eyes as a Scientologist, uh, I would have seen all the things I eventually saw. I oh, mean, yeah. I would have seen them years before. And I, and I could have saved myself literally years, decades yeah, a lot of, heartache. of physical, emotional, psychological blackmail and abuse. I, I wish that upon others. I wish that they would, yeah. you know, more objectively look around and see what's, what, what they're part of and what they're contributing to. Because it's, it's not just about you. You know, it's about other people, too. And, and yeah. you know, like I said at the beginning, I will still reinforce that I will say that I don't care what you believe. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's in your head. I don't care what you carry around in your head. But what you do and what other people do to you, what you do to other people, that's where, that's where things start mattering. And, yeah. and we really should take a, uh, if there's any lesson of my channel, it's, Please open your eyes, take a look around every now and again, and look at what you're involved in, and and is it yeah. constructive and and helping your life and helping other people, or yeah. is it maybe not, you know? And what are you what are you contributing to? 
whether it's financially resources, like I said, you're part, you're part of propping up a system as small as of a cog that you may think you are, you're still part of propping up a damaging system that's hurting people. Exactly. So what do you do? You got to look at that for sure. That's right. All right. Well, I think we've covered a lot of territory here in, in, oh, uh, yeah. in just an hour. Just scratched I, the surface there. I, I know we have. <laughs> we really have. Uh, yeah. I am positive we will be doing more on this on this topic. On this, yeah. I, I think that you know we need to be talking about the more mainstream, broader base of religious believers out there and and what they're up to yeah. and what we're looking at. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Scientology, you know, little destructive cults, Nexium, um, you know, these are these are tiny little groups. They're they're very salacious. They're very interesting. They're they're very abusive. Oh, yeah. uh, just because you're not part of a group that's branding you or locking you up in a chain locker or putting you on a rehabilitation program for three years doesn't mean yeah. you aren't part of a negative, you know, or, or a group that's yeah. doing some bad stuff. Yeah, or psychologically damaging or, or sexual abuse. I mean, it happens in churches all the time. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, it, and, and really, these guys only get away with it because the followers allow them to. Yeah, it really yeah. does come down to that. I mean, if you're looking for responsibility, yes, the bad guys are bad. They do bad things. Yeah. We, the good guys, actually can do something about it. So, well, and what you said, I've, I know you got to wrap it up, but you know, yeah, your yeah, point no. about when you were a Scientologist, if you'd have seen the thing, but the truth is, I, w- I would say to myself now, I was seeing those things when I was a Christian. I just didn't know how to interpret them. They didn't, they didn't mean anything to me that I was seeing the abuse and I was seeing the damage. But now that I look back on it objectively, I think, my God, <laughs> I, I needed to wake up, you know, yep. and now I see what I was, I was seeing it with my eyes, but I didn't know how to interpret it then and make sense of it. Whereas now I'm thinking, my God, <laughs> this is shocking. I wish I'd, I wish I'd have known then what I know now, but I, I couldn't know now what I know that what I knew then because I had to go through that experience. So it's, it's all part of the journey. Exactly. Uh, we would save you guys that pain. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's really what this exactly. is all about. And if you're watching this show, you probably are watching it for a reason. And if you stuck with it for this long, then, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to continue to lambaste this point. I just wanted to uh, make the point very strongly because I think it's something that we need to be saying out loud uh, yeah, a lot absolutely. more often these days, you know. All right. Well, Clint. This was really great. Thank you very much yeah. for taking the time and being on. I enjoyed it. I always love talking to you, Chris. I love anytime <laughs> you want to talk, just let me know. Absolutely, man. And uh, we'll get a link to your podcast in the show notes uh, right. on my YouTube channel and at sensiblyspeaking.com so you guys can check that out. Uh, do please, folks out there, uh, check out that Great Courses Plus ad that I put here on this podcast uh, in the middle of our wonderful conversation here because it is a limited time deal. And that sponsor is something that I only got for a limited amount of time. And I really, really want to take advantage of that. And I want you guys to take advantage of that because there is knowledge available at Great Courses Plus that is mind blowing. I mean, truly, I have been taking advantage of it myself and it has been a wonderful experience so check that out and again if as i always say at the end here if you like the show if you like what i'm doing consider supporting me through patreon because it's what allows me to continue doing this show thanks for coming around folks leave any questions comments or feedback in the comment section here on youtube or at sensiblyspeaking.com i will see you guys next week bye-bye